0: Thank you to all of those people who made last week possible. There were a lot of hands that went into that fifth anniversary celebration for us. And uh, I'm really grateful for all of you that participated. If you have kids that you'd like to send out to our youth program, that's, uh, uh, that's over there. Over there today so you don't get stuck in the hallway with a bunch of strangers. Uh, so you can send them right over there to the kitchen. And my wife will take them out that way this morning as she teaches them this morning. I want to start with uh, an announcement, actually. This is one that I actually saved from the beginning and I wanted to share with you now. A lot of you have been watching what's going on in Ukraine. uh, And there are a lot of opportunities to uh, of organizations that are asking you to participate so that you can help uh, uh, the refugees and those that are in need and those that are getting uh, just bombarded by ridiculous behavior of tyrants if you would like to do that you're more than welcome to do that but we always like to give you an option for an organization where we know your money will end up where it's supposed to go and so i want to do that for you again this morning Uh, we actually i was at uh, starbucks and ran into our awana missionary over there Uh, his name is brian rhodes he's a super nice guy he actually has spoken for us here Uh, he works with awana and there is a lot of uh, awana kids in the ukraine uh, the Ukraine is the largest missionary sending country in Eastern Europe right now, and so there are a lot of believers there. 70% of the religious population claim to be Christians, followers of Jesus Christ. There's a large impact now on those Christians that are there, uh, that are fleeing for their lives, and uh, so I talked to to Brian. I said, "Listen, what can we do to help? What, how can we, how can we do something to help out?" And so here's what we can do. He actually is going uh, over to uh, do some work over there uh, this week. And uh, we have an opportunity to help him as he supports the churches not only that are in Ukraine, but also those that are in the surrounding countries around Ukraine. And uh, so he has a big task ahead of him this week. And I asked him what we could do, and he said, Craig, just pray, 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 pray pray and so i want to do that in a moment i want to encourage you to do that through this week Uh, we didn't have time to plan ahead for this obviously because this is a need that has arisen right now and so if you would like to give knowing that your money will go directly to those um, to those who need it most uh, this is an opportunity for you to do that you can go online and you can give uh, directly at vceast.org there's a give to ukraine button there uh, and it'll take you actually to a, on a wana website, and that's fine. Everything's good. You can give through that website knowing that these missionaries are going to support those, especially families with children. And so that's, uh, that's one way that we can participate, and you can know that your money is going to the right places. If you'd like more information on this, Brian actually did a podcast for us, and you can access that. I think it's going to be up either today or tomorrow. Uh, they're editing it now, but it, it should be up uh, tomorrow at the latest. You can find this on vceast.org at our hub. Uh, go to the media site. Uh, there's lots of ways that you can access it, but you'll be able to find uh, the interview with our Awana missionary, Brian Rhodes. And uh, he, did a, he did a wonderful interview. I can't wait to uh, be able to share it with you all uh, and have the knowledge that you guys will be praying for him, those of you that are at home and those of you in the in the house uh this morning all right so again uh if you're if you're if you're already given to an organization that's fine if you know of a good organization that you give to uh we just want to make sure that we do due diligence and uh every cent that you give will go directly to families if you want to give through uh our website uh this afternoon all right so let's uh let's pray for Ukraine uh before we dive into our message this morning Uh, Father, it's very hard for us to identify with the fact that uh, we have brothers and sisters, people that we've never met before, uh, people that know you and people that don't know you, uh, that are going through such atrocity this morning, such fear, real stuff, real time. Uh, Fathers who have said goodbye to their families all the way up to 60 years old, enlisted in the army, and mothers and children running for their lives to bordering countries, all because one man uh, is clearly uh, doing things to satisfy himself and his own ego. And so, Father, I pray that you would give um, peace and comfort and help to those that are going through this, even this morning. I pray, Father, as, as we send this gift over, I pray that you would be able to use it to Directly bless those families. Give them food, water, help, medicine, whatever that they need, medical attention. And Father, I pray that the love of Jesus would be shown through the giving of your church here this morning. I pray that whatever we take would be only multiplied by your people around the world. And that, Father, through the church, your love can be seen even in the middle of terrible evil and tragedy. We ask you to preserve life, bring an end to this conflict, to bring justice where there is injustice, and to protect the widows and the orphans. And may we take the lead as your church in showing the world how to do it right. So use us, Father, and may your will be done in the lives of those, and more than anything else, in the middle of the darkness, may your light shine very, very brightly. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want to give you an opportunity to do this, actually, this Sunday and next Sunday. I'm going to encourage you to really make sure. uh, We're going to make the announcement both of these Sundays, uh, but what their needs are are immediate. And so I want to encourage you to take advantage of that uh, today if you can and no later than next week. All right. Um, Have you ever read a story or watched a movie more than once and every time you watch it, maybe even the second or third time you're going, I never noticed that before. And you read the book before and you're going, Oh, I never saw that before. And you, you saw it, but it just didn't click, right? Or a movie, you know, like like me watching The Matrix. Every time I watch it, I'm going, Oh, I didn't see that before. It's always something something I haven't seen before. I've seen that a hundred times. Every time I read the story of Jesus turning water to wine, I zip through it and and every time I go through it, I see something new, but there's just a not a lot there. It doesn't seem like from a first reading. And so when we got together and we were, we were going through in John 2, we're hitting the first miracle of Jesus, how Jesus makes followers, and we get to this first miracle of Jesus Christ, we really dug in. And I got to tell you, I have been impacted by this miracle perhaps more than most other miracles that Jesus did. And I get to share that with you today. So I'm hoping through my communication of what happened this week in our sermon prep uh, with the other churches that I get together with, that you will be impacted as well. The miracle of turning water to wine at the wedding in Cana. Are you ready? All right. It's in John chapter 2, starts at verse 1. Here's how it goes. The third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. The mother of Jesus is named what? Mary, okay, we're on the same page. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Pretty straightforward, right? Pretty basic situation. One of these passages that I'm thinking to myself, okay, factoid, 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 what's the big deal? They run out of wine. Now, to understand this, we need to dig in just a little bit further. Why is this the first miracle that Jesus did? Like, you'd think right out of the gate. I mean, people have been, they haven't heard from God for 400 years. Between the Old Testament and New Testament, 400 years. Bupkis, nothing. There's no prophets. There's no, you got the rise of the Pharisees. The Romans appear out of nowhere. And uh, all of a sudden, we're into the New Testament. Hi, Anelda. Is Hi, Ray. <laughs> I see you. Good to see you. All right. Sorry, sorry. I got distracted there for a second. Where was I? Oh, middle middle period. Old Testament to the New Testament there's just not a lot of action. You got Anthony and Cleopatra in there, you remember those guys, right? You've got the rise of the Maccabean Revolution, you may not know that, I don't know. There's a lot of there's a lot of drama that goes on. Greece is down, Rome is up. All of that happens. But as far as prophets, as far as men of God, there's nothing. All of a sudden, Jesus who is prophesied, the last verse of the Old Testament, Malachi, says Elijah will come and tell you the Messiah is about to come. Picture of Elijah was John the Baptist. We already talked about it. And then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. And you think to yourself, the Messiah is here. What's the first miracle going to be? Wouldn't you think that? Like, let's raise somebody from the dead. Let's go in with a bang. Like, you want to put your best foot forward. No, 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 no. We got water to wine. Doesn't that seem like kind of a letdown for you? Now you're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, Craig, I'd, I'd walk off that stage because lightning bolts are coming your way, right? This is not a letdown for Jesus to make water into wine. But for me, I'm kind of like, and not everybody saw it. Only the few people who were in the room saw what happened. Everybody's drinking the wine, but not everybody even knew a miracle happened. Why is that the case? Why all this incognito uh, action What is so significant about a wedding lacking wine? I mean, you've thrown parties at your house, right? So you run out of ice, right? So go buy some more ice, but you're not like, oh boy, my reputation's on the line, I'm out of ice. Something is going on here that we don't understand. And I didn't really appreciate what was happening until this week, so. Let's approach it factually. Here's what we know. You ready? We know close family and friends are only invited to this wedding. We know that because Jesus was a part of this family somehow. He was either friends or he was related through Mary and Jesus was allowed to invite his disciples. There are not 12 disciples yet. Jesus is only called maybe four at the most. But Jesus is allowed to bring his friends So probably Jesus and Mary are related somehow to this family. We know that to be true. We know that they didn't plan well. (laughs) I I don't know if they're type A personalities or whatever, but they didn't plan very well for these details. We know that they ran out of wine much earlier than they would think. So we know that they were not rich. They didn't have a bundle of wine in the back that they could fall back on. They ran out early, they should have had more because the party is still going on. Now, a wedding in this day probably lasted seven days. Can you imagine going to a wedding that lasts seven days? You get a little tired at the end, wouldn't you? This wedding is supposed to last about seven days. People go home, they sleep, but they come back and they party the next day. There was a level of shame, we know, that went on with not having enough somehow these folks were shamed in that they, through this experience, their name now would be Mud. This family also, we know, meant a lot to Mary. For some reason, Mary had a very big affinity toward this family. Otherwise, why get involved? So we know that Mary had some sort of a close love connection toward these relatives, maybe, but she's close to them. We also know that Joseph is not around, so he's probably dead by now. Does that mean that he died of natural causes? I don't know. Uh, the lifespan of the, of the male did not go very high in these days. The Romans had a tendency to kill the men. Uh, there was a lot of widow and orphan issues, so men had a, not a terribly long lifespan, and probably Joseph was significantly older than Mary. So we don't know what happened to Joseph. We just know that if Mary is going to Jesus and not Joseph, Joseph's probably gone by now. We also know that short of a miracle, there is no hope to get out of the situation. These guys need some sort of a miracle. In other words, if I were to put this into my language, and if I was Mary, I'm coming to Jesus, this, this is kind of what Jesus heard Mary say, Jesus... These are your close friends and family. Either you do something to fix this or they will be shamed. That's where Mary leaves it. Now, we don't know why Mary thinks Jesus can fix this because he has not done any miracles so far. If you're part of some religious organization that has taught that Jesus may have done miracles before this, that is a false teaching (laughs) because this is his first miracle, clearly presented in Scripture as the first miracle that Jesus has done. Mary has not seen Jesus do miracles before, but she knows he can fix things, which tells me what about Jesus? This mom's got a lot of faith in her kid, right? And by the way, Jesus could have done a lot of other things. I don't think, I don't think Mary had it in her mind that, Jesus, would you turn water into wine? I don't think that was even in her in her in her venue I don't think she even thought of that but maybe there was a Cooper's hawk hawk wagon out front that was going by and maybe the the cattle could fall over dead and all of a sudden you've got a bunch of wine on this wagon I don't know what could have happened, but turning water to wine was not in Mary's uh, in Mary's um, eyesight so what did Jesus do to give Mary this level of confidence in him I don't know we're not told what she was thinking but we are simply told she was under the impression that if anyone could fix this shaming situation, Jesus could do it. So we go to the next verse. Jesus said to her, now this, this is what always got me. And, and because, I, because I didn't get it, I just like, okay, we're going right along. Jesus can talk to his mom any way he wants to. But this sounds kind of rude. Listen to what he says. Jesus said to her, woman, woman. Not even Mom, right? Right? What, can you imagine your kid talking to you this way? Woman? Sounds rude, right? Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour is not yet come. Now I read that through my English eyeballs. He's leaving his earthly mom to pursue his heavenly father's plan to redeem the world. And as a mother, she will no longer have authority over what he does. I think Jesus is saying, Mom, do you understand the prophetic significance of what this miracle will mean? Do you understand with this miracle done today, it will begin the the road to my death? Do you understand that our relationship will never be the same? Mom, do you understand? Are you ready for this? i also believe this because when mary comes to see him later in his ministry if you read about this in the book of mark chapter 3 mary comes to a place where jesus is ministering (laughs) he's in there doing miracles and 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 teaching and mary comes with his brothers and his sisters outside now again if you're part of a religious tradition that teaches mary only had one child you got to erase that from your mind that is not scripture in scripture Jesus had brothers and sisters. Mary had kids, lots of them from the looks of it. Jesus is in the house. Mary shows up with a family outside and calls in to the disciples and says, tell Jesus his mother is here. Look at Jesus' response. Mary, uh, his mother Mary and his brothers came, and standing outside, they said to him, they called to him, and, and a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, hey, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking around, all those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Their relationship at Cana would forever change, and from now on, Jesus would pursue his ministry to redeem his people, and he would leave his mom behind. Now, does that mean he never saw his mom again? Absolutely not. Does that mean he never talked to his mom again? Absolutely not. But from this moment forward, their relationship would change, and she would be the mom of a son who is following the will of his father, his heavenly father. Why does he say this hour? Because once the curtain rises in this first miracle, The end would be Jesus dying on the cross. This is constantly in Scripture. If you want to look this up, you can, but John 2, 2, 4, 7, 6, 8, uh, chapter 30, um, uh, 7, verse 30, 8, verse 20. It's all the way through Scripture. Whenever Jesus is hour, he's referring to his death. The best one I'm pulling out and giving to you now, Matthew 26, 45. He came to his disciples and said to them, this is after the upper room, when they're in the garden. And Jesus is saying, hey, you, you better be aware. I'm about to be betrayed into the hands of sinners. And then what are the disciples doing? The yeah, they're sleeping. And this is what he says to them. Sleep and take your rest uh, later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Jesus knows the lights are flickering. If he does this, the lights flicker, the curtain rises, and the play doesn't stop until it's over. Verse 5, Mary lets him go. She knows very well what he's saying, and he lets him go. His mother said to his servants, do whatever he tells you to do. Now, I read this as a, as a father that's saying goodbye to some of my kids as they go out and they go to college, and eventually they'll start their own families. And I'm reading this, and I'm going, oh, this is so painful to read. Because Mary knows very well she's giving her son over to what he came to do. Mary let's go with this simple statement. She doesn't know what he will do, but she knows that he will fix whatever problems there are for folks. So he says, just do what he tells you to do. Last week we talked about or two weeks ago, we talked about making disciples. Come and see. Jesus is calling his disciples. He's not telling them, take up your cross and follow me. Not yet. Not for another 14 months. He doesn't give any of that kind of language. At the very front end of his ministry, he says, just come and see. Check it out. Watch what I do. Walk with me. Follow me. Check things out. And the disciples who started calling other disciples did the exact same thing. Peter gets called, Nathan goes to get Philip. We have all of these, these people in there. They're just saying, hey, come out, check this guy out. Uh, I, I, I can't help you, but I know someone who can. Making disciples, we said, is, is simply pointing others to Jesus Christ. Jesus was needed by the world. And Mary did the same thing. She's pointing others to Jesus. Do whatever he tells you to do. He's got all the answers for what ails you. Do what he tells you to do. She's pointing people to Jesus Christ. But there's another part of discipleship that is powerfully evident in what Mary does this moment at Cana. This week, she's sharing the experience of Jesus Christ. It's not just the come and see, it's come and experience Jesus Christ. She has experienced Jesus for 30 years. She knows what he's capable of. She's heard the prophecies. She knows he's the Messiah. She doesn't know when his time would come yet. But she's ready for the curtain to rise. And she has had powerful experiences with Jesus that now she's ready to share with the world. This is a unique aspect of discipleship, letting people in the door so that they can see your relationship your experiences with jesus christ the challenge we sometimes have is is that jesus would would change the world because we so often talk about how he changes us and that's great because he does change us but there comes a time for us to look at other people and say listen it's not enough that he's changed me you got to understand he wants to change you too i've had an experience with jesus mary says I've had experience with him for 30 years, and I'm ready to give him to the world now. And one aspect of discipleship is the same for us. We have our experiences with Jesus Christ. We need to share those with those around us. Sometimes as tough as it is to share, as transparently vulnerable as we need to be. This is why loving God is the first and greatest commandment. Because until you learn to love God like you should, you'll never be able to share him with the people around you. Loving God is most important, but the second commandment is loving others like yourself. What does that mean? Sharing Jesus Christ with others around you. Giving them the experiences with him that you have had. Inviting others into your experience so that they can begin their experience with him. So Jesus gets busy doing the first miracle. Verse 6, here we go. Now, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification. Jewish rites of purification were washing your hands, your feet. This, is, this was normal at every party. Water jars that would be full so that you could wash yourself off. Each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Verse 7, Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. They were emptied out. Fill them with water again. They filled them up to the brim, almost overflowing. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. Can you imagine how weird this was for them? The master of the feast is expecting wine. He says, fill these up with water, and then draw some of the water out, and take it to the master of the feast. Now, the master of the feast was the MC. He was the master of ceremonies, right? He was the one that tasted stuff and told everybody, this is good, you got to try this dip, right? That's the guy. So he's going try the wine. It's wonderful. It's excellent. He's wanting to make sure the party keeps flowing. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so they say to him. Now, now Jesus said to his servants, fill it with water. Take some of the water to the MC. Tell him it's wine and let him drink it. <laughs> he tastes the wine, and he's flabbergasted. And here's what he says, verse ten: Everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you're amazing. You've kept the best wine until now. Do you know why it was the best wine? Because Jesus made it, right? It's not a hard answer. Like I'm thinking anything Jesus makes, I'm willing to taste. Jesus makes wine, and the guy goes, this is the best wine I've ever had. And the rest of us go, "Uh uh-huh. Listen, you're going to get to taste this wine because there will be wine in the new kingdom that God makes, and you will have it available for you. Now, if I've rocked your world so far with breaking down the Mary-Jesus relationship, I'm glad you're sitting down because it's going to get a little more rocky. Why does Jesus turn water to wine? Why this miracle? I mean, isn't wine bad? Wine can be used in a bad way, just like everything that God has made can be used in bad ways. But wine in Scripture represents the joy of the new kingdom. Wine always represents the joy that we have, knowing that we will be resurrected from the dead someday and we will live in eternity. And whenever the Bible talks about eternity, it always says, there's going to be a lot of wine. You can read about it in the Old Testament, it's everywhere. And one of, the, one of the places that I love the most... Oh, wait, 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 wait. Uh, before I get there, Jesus makes this water into wine. Jesus begins and ends his ministry the same way. Isn't that interesting? He has wine when he begins his ministry, and when he ends his ministry, he's with the disciples in the upper room. Do you remember this? And what are they drinking? Wine. And what does he say about the wine? This is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for I will not drink of this fruit of the vine again with you until I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Drinking wine with Jesus is touchstone points of the joy we have in our relationship with him. So it's no wonder he begins his ministry by making wine. Isn't that interesting? I, I don't know. You may not think that's interesting. I'm just going. That's pretty cool. This is a, this is really Jesus saying we're we're starting the kingdom stuff now. We're starting kingdom living. Like everyone sat under their own fig tree, and this is the k- same kind of deal. Wine is a symbol of the new kingdom. It's a and the wine that we have in the new kingdom is going to be made really fast, and it's going to be really good. One of the greatest passages I have for this is Amos nine verse thirteen. This is an old Uh, This is a a minor prophet, Amos, and, and he writes this way. Behold, the days are coming, talking about the eternal kingdom. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes with him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine and the hills shall flow with it. I will store the fortunes of my people Israel and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine. They shall make their gardens and eat their fruit. The mountains would be dripping with wine like water. This miracle, like Cana, is water to wine because it initiates the beginning of the kingdom Jesus is bringing. Wine is a symbol of the joy of the kingdom of God. So that's why he didn't raise people from the dead. No one dies in the new kingdom. <laughs> People are raised from the dead in the new kingdom, true, but that's, that's, that's like, uh, that happens before the new kingdom comes. But you know what happens all the way through the new kingdom? Wine flows from the mountains. Verse 14, the Bible clears it up for us. This is the first of the signs Jesus did at Galilee and manifested his glory. This is the first miracle. There are none before this. So if you're into some Q Gospel or some Gospel of Thomas or whatever that talks about miracles before this, it can't possibly be, or the Bible's wrong. This is the first of the miracles that Jesus did. It manifested his glory for the very first time. It is key because it is a symbol of the new kingdom, the wine that would symbolize the new kingdom. And because of it, some people believed. Jesus releases the reins of his family. The curtain rises. The wine flows out to the stage, and his ministry begins. Everybody drank the wine, but only a few believed. Everybody ate the miracle food at the 5,000, feeding at the 5,000, but only a few believed. It's interesting to me that people will see and experience moments of grace from God, but only a few Will believe verse 12 after this he went down to Capernaum and his mother and his brothers and with his mother's his, with his mother and his brothers and his disciples and they stayed there for a few days his mother believed his disciples believed but his brothers did not his brothers did not believe him even though they were probably some of the ones that knew what happened at Cana how do I know that the Bible says it look in John 7 Verse 5, not even his brothers believed in him. They grew up with the guy, 30 years. Now he says, oh, by the way, I'm the Messiah. (laughs) Sure you are. I know you. (laughs) That'd be weird, right? Later on, his brothers actually did. One of them was James, who wrote the uh, the letter to James in the New Testament. Listen, I've read this story numerous times in my life, but I always miss the point of it. Mary is sharing her experience with Jesus with the entire world. Jesus is saying, are you ready? Are you ready, Mom? Are you ready to let me go? Are you ready for our relationship to change? Are you ready for me to now follow the will of my Father that will end in my death, that will end in your suffering, and no promises beyond that? Not yet. Are you ready for that to start? And Mary lets him go. And Jesus meets these believers in this very first personal moment for him. Can you imagine being the disciples later on and putting this all together and thinking to themselves, I was at Cana. Jesus left his mom for us. We were there right at the very beginning. I was there. We make disciples' church by giving others windows to look into our own personal lives. We make disciples by giving others windows to look into our own personal experiences with Jesus. This is one of the main reasons we have the Bible. Did you know that? We get to look into the personal experience of all of these losers in Scripture, and there were a ton of them. All these people that are lauded and applauded in, in uh, Hebrews 11, in the, in the hall of faith, Abraham and Isaac and Joseph and Rahab and all of these people, David, all had foibles. David was a murderer and an adulterer. Rahab was a prostitute. Moses had a major anger issue. Abraham didn't have a lot of faith, but he's constantly applauded for his faith. You look at these people and you're thinking, to yourself, and by the way, Abraham lied several times about who his wife was. You remember that? You have all of these stories in Scripture, and the Bible tells us of all of these people, But the reason we have them in Scripture is because God is trying to communicate something to us. You don't have to be Jesus or Mary to share your experiences with him with others. Because there's a lot of people in in the Bible that weren't exactly Mary's or Joseph's or Jesus's. (laughs) But they shared their experiences with others and that's what drew them to become followers of Jesus Christ. We are to sit back and wonder over God's glory being displayed in broken lives. And this is how we make followers of Jesus as well. Invite them into your life, share your experience. You don't have to be a theologian and you don't have to be perfect. Apparently not. You can even be a Peter and change the world. So here's some so whats hiding your past failure. Strips God of his glory. A transformed life showcases the power and the experiences you have with God to change your life. Give people a window. Don't be ashamed. Allow other people to see what Jesus is doing in you. Share your faith in Jesus Christ. Share your confidence. Be like Mary that says, I don't know what he's going to do, but I think he can fix this situation for you. Be that kind of a sharer. Your testimony is evidence of God's power and his glory in you. Mary had confidence in Jesus. She'd not seen one miracle, but she pointed others to Jesus and said, I don't know what he can do, but he can fix stuff. And he can fix this. And that's how we call other people to be followers of Jesus Christ. You got major issues, I feel for you. They're not my issues, but I feel for you. I can't fix them, but I know somebody who can. He's done it for me and he can do it for you. This is how we make disciples. We show our confidence in Jesus Christ. Everyone needs to have a personal experience of Jesus' power. This is everything Paul the Apostle wrote about. Paul the Apostle was a murderer. He killed the first Christian, the first follower of Jesus Christ, the first martyr for Christianity. Paul killed him, or he was there doing the deed. This is what he says about himself after he gives his life to Jesus Christ in 1 Timothy 1.12. Paul says, I thank him who has given me strength, Jesus Christ our Lord, because he has judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly, listen to this, how transparent is this? Though formerly, Paul says, I was a what, church? I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. That's who I was. Look into the window of my experience with Jesus. Understand, I'm not perfect, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly and in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ overflowed me with the faith and love that are in Jesus Christ. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save who, church? Sinners, not perfect people. People with broken lives, people with with broken pasts. Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and then he says, of whom I stand out the most. I am foremost. This is what it means to understand when we share Christ with others, it doesn't matter how broken we are, how little we know. If we know Jesus can fix things, that he can change things, and that he can make us and is making us more into his image, we need to share that with others because Jesus isn't just about me and him. In fact, when we pick songs to sing in the church, we we push out most of the ones that talk about me and him, because it's not me and him, it's us and him. No one comes to the garden alone. We come to the garden together. Number two, people are drawn to the sign, but the sign is never the point. Don't get sucked in to somebody selling you a shallow plan of faith in Jesus Christ. We went to Florida, and there was a huge sign when we got to Florida. Several years ago, we were able to take a trip, all of us together, and we pulled over at the sign, and I said, everybody out! So we all got out. We drove the whole way to Florida. I was just thankful we crossed the border. We all got out. We all stood by the sign. We took tons of pictures by the sign. We're in Florida! We're in Florida! Posted on Facebook. We're in Florida! Then we got in the van... No, then we, then we put the tent out. We stayed by the sign because the sign was cool. We had our moment by the sign, by the side of the road. We ate hot dogs, cooked on an open grill, spent a week there, just at the sign, packed it up and came home, right? No, that's the stupidest thing you've ever heard, Right. Who goes to the sign and Pat and says, we have arrived, this is the sign. No, we went to Florida, we went to Disney, we went to the beach. There's a lot of cool things to do in Florida. We discovered that together. Nobody follows Jesus just for the signs. You don't follow Jesus because of the cool sign that you get once in a while. Our job as followers of Jesus Christ is to mine that relationship as deep as we can so that we can figure out how deep this relationship can go. How much of our lives can be changed? We want the full experience. We don't want to stop at the sign as if we've arrived at the sign. The point is, do you, do you want the wine or do you want Jesus? Most people drank the wine and went home. Nothing changed. Some people drank the wine and they said, something major happened here. I'm going to dig into this a little further. And if you want to know Jesus Christ, I've studied this passage for blank, blank years. <laughs> I've, studied, I've read this passage for all this time, and I'm thinking to myself, whatever's happening here, I'm moving on to the next thing. And just this week, I sit down with a bunch of guys, and we said, we're not going to leave this until we figure out what is going on here. And I was going, I was crying. Jesus is leaving his mom. Never saw it before. Your relationship with Jesus has yet to be mined to its depths. And as you do that, the more passionate you get, about who he is and who he's making you into. You've got to share that experience with others. Number three, everyone needs a personal experience with Jesus. A moving and worship experience can only take you so far. An amazing message from from the pulpit can only take you so far. Jesus wants to have a relationship, a personal experience, not a show. And if we want to make disciples, we have to share our personal experiences with those around us. No matter where we are on the scale, just be willing to share. Like Mary, we have to share intimate experiences with Jesus so that others would be compelled to follow him as well. One of the things we're doing is who's your one. I'm going to talk about this all year long. 22 groups of two in 2022 is that's my goal. And if you would like to be a part of that, I would love to know who you're picking. And who you are going to be with? And and I'm going to clear it up as we go through even, even more. And if it's not clear for you, come to me and say, Craig, I don't really understand this. What do you mean by this? But bottom line, find one person that God has put on your heart, a friend, somebody that you're making into a friend, or somebody you've known for a while, somebody who just needs a friend, and give him your time. Once a week, once every two weeks. Meet them at Starbucks, spend an hour there, meet them at Panera, I don't know. Uh, meet, them, meet them for lunch, breakfast. Just spend some time there. Don't make it your, 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 your whole thing to make a devotional and be responsible to, to lead them through a devotional. This has nothing to do with this. This is simply being a friend to somebody who needs space. So many people don't have friendships anymore. They got their computer screens, they got texting, they got Facebook. It's all lies but they don't have a real experience with somebody else. You be their experience. Just talk to them. Hey, what's going on? How can I pray for you? How's the kids? How's the job? Judgment-free zone. What are, you, what are you thinking about these days? An hour will go by before you even know it. And if you keep it up, you'll be amazed at how God will direct that conversation. Who's your one? If you want to be a part of that, ask me more about it. But I want to, I'm, I'm praying that we see 22 teams of twos In 2022. Uh, Listen, a personally changed life because of a personal experience with Jesus is the best miracle we can show to others. You want to know the best miracle? You're looking at it. I have no idea who I would be had God not rescued me. But I know I wouldn't be me. I know I wouldn't be me. I have way too many foibles that would rise to the top if Jesus hadn't suppressed them for me. The best miracle that you can share with others is what Jesus has done in your life. That is it. Your experience with Jesus is invaluable. He's done amazing things in your life so that you can share what He's done with others, so that they can have hope and they can have joy and they can learn to worship Him as well. The clearest power of Jesus is that He's changing us into people that we should not normally become. I'll say that one more time because it's really good. The clearest power of Jesus is that he is changing us into people we should not normally have become. That is the miracle of Jesus Christ. In every testimony of Jesus, the person that I'm becoming now is not the person I naturally would have become. And that testimony has more power than you think that it does. It gives joy and hope to others who want the same thing. And it doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, you can have an impact in the lives of others by just sharing your experience with Jesus, with others. You want to make a disciple of Jesus? Let them into your space to see what Jesus is doing in you. And then, and maybe only then, can they find the hope that he will do the same in them. Let's pray. Father God, this is an interesting miracle turning water to wine your conversation with your mom that really seemed kind of inappropriate. And yet when we dig into it and realize what you're doing is you're saying goodbye to your mom because the curtain's about to rise on your ministry that will save the world. And your mother was willing to share you with others even though she knew it would pierce her own soul. Seeing you hung up on a cross. Knowing that when the play began, it would end with your death, not understanding your resurrection would occur three days later, but understanding that that's what was needed for the plan of salvation to be initiated. I am grateful for what happened at Cana. And I pray, Father, that we would glean some truth this morning and be willing to share our relationship with you, our experience with you, with others, like your mother did with you. Regardless of how awkward we might feel. How vulnerable we might become. Regardless even if we lose a friendship because of it. Whatever the cost, let us be willing to share our experiences with others. So that they may know the God that can change them like you're changing us. Help us, Village churches, to be bold about our witness for you. Because we live in a world that desperately desperately needs you. I pray this all in Jesus' name.